Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Jason Roundsville with the Pope and Young Podcast. Joining me today, I've got my co-host, Dylan Ray, with us. We also have special guests, Alan Bullen and Jake Bullen, uh, father-son team. And for those of you who haven't heard, if, if you're not watching social media or the internet in any way, Alan just was confirmed with the brand new Sitka Blacktail world record. So very excited to have him here. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear about this hunt. This is a hunt that a lot of people say a lot of great things about. I haven't had the privilege to do it, but uh, everyone that I've talked to really enjoys this hunt. So, guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. And uh, I'm just I'm going to jump right in here, and and I just have to say congratulations on killing a, a new world record. Yeah, man it it it's uh pretty surreal it, it definitely that wasn't my goal uh i wanted to shoot a really big one but but uh, the world record thing just kind of happened so it, it it's pretty amazing pretty fun to to go through the, you know the experience of the panel and all that stuff um you know the, the emergency panel or whatever you guys call it that for the world records that's a pretty cool thing you started a few years ago yeah well it's it's one of those things when you have an opportunity like this um, you know, I, I think in years past there's, there was some controversy as far as, you know, an animal is taken and then it sits for two years to get to the recording period right. and, and that panel. And here, you know, in a, in a game of eighths of an inch, 
you don't want any more shrinkage than than you have to have. So um, oh, that's right. I, that yeah. happened to me back in 2005 with a mountain goat. I oh, did it really? It. Yeah, it was pending world record. And then, uh, interestingly, though, it was a bigger one was shot during the same scoring period. So I don't know how that would work today. You know, if if they would have called the the panel and it would have been, I guess, called the world record, but then another one would have been shot in the same period. You know, that happened this year. Um, we actually had just in the last several months, we had two potential world record mountain goats. Um, they were both pending at the same time. And so the first one that came in, um, they actually did a special panel for that one in, uh, I forget where that was, but at one of the big shows, I think the guy was down for the show and took it. And, and so we convened a special panel. It was there. We had some guys there. So we measured that confirmed it as a, as a new world record. And then another one, which was shot actually on the same location or very, very close to there um, was also a pending world record or, or tied for the world record. And then that one in the special panel didn't, didn't quite make it, but uh, mm, yeah. that's happened before. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it's uh it's good. You guys do that. That was a fun experience though. And, but the hunt, that was of course the best part. Yeah. And so Jake, I'm going to, I'm going to pull you up here, man. How did it feel to be on a hunt like that with your dad, with, with something that size that, I mean, did you guys know this was going to be, a contender when you when you got him, you know, Jake. We uh, talked about it, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, we it really started to settle in after we were like we had walked up on it. We we're taking pictures and stuff. You know, you kind of just in shock for a minute, or at least my dad was, I think. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you kind of start to realize like the the gravity of what's going on and how amazing it is. And these hunts are just such surreal experiences already you know backpacking way up in the alaskan mountains is just it's just uh a cherry on top you know you bet did, yeah, did we you did give him these hunts we did them all self-guided uh backpacking we we've done it a few times now and, and we will go in for two weeks living out of our packs get, just get dropped off by a float plane in southeast alaska wow so, and, then, and then it's completely self-sustained after that um and we cover a lot of mountain range and, and the weather is a huge challenge on these hunts too. Is it pretty wet? That what time of year was it, Alan? So it was in August, uh, which sometimes August is okay. And sometimes it's not, you know, I, I, I outfit for mountain goats very close to Southeast Alaska in Terrace, British Columbia. It's actually only about a hundred air miles away. So I'm really familiar with that country. And part of the reason why I decided to go there instead of Kodiak you know, everybody goes to Kodiak, right? Not many people target Southeast Alaska because it's such brutal country. Uh, yeah. It's soaking wet. It's super thick. You usually start at the ocean and climb up. And, and it's just, I mean, it takes you a day of beating the bush to get get up to the top. It's it's really brutal stuff, but I'm pretty used to it for that reason. And and I know there's there's big bucks in that alpine in the early season. So we decided to go that route. And uh, Jake, the first time he went with me was 16 years old. You know, I took him out <clears throat> for, uh, I think we were in 12 or 13 days that first hunt. And uh, as a 16-year-old kid, you know, he was, he's, he's 19 now, you know. But uh, how was it? What was that like, Jake? 
I remember it being first year. I remember it being uh, very overwhelming. Like uh, my dad would point at a peak, and he'd say, "All right, we're going to be there in four hours." I'm like, "We're not going to be there in four days," you know. And (laughs) and uh, everything just seemed so huge and daunting. And and uh, but we we were very prepared. You know, we would hike with heavy packs and go on the step mill and and just get in good shape beforehand and. So we were very prepared for that first hunt, and that helped. But uh, the second hunt especially, that I, I knew it, would, uh, I, it was something I could do because I had done it before, it, was, right. it allowed me to be much more appreciative and, and um, grateful for the experience and, and just really just have so much fun, you know? Because a lot of the first hunt was me just kind of freaking out, not knowing what was going on you know, and, uh, and, and how, how was your dad on the timing when he said, Hey, we're going to be on that peak in four hours. How, how did he do on that? Was it pretty close? It was pretty close. Usually. Yeah. Okay. The truth, right. the truth is somewhere in the middle, not, not quite four days, but probably not quite four hours either. Yeah. yeah. That's usually where it lives, but it's always yeah. nice to get the perspective. <laughs> no, Jason, all this does is make me mad at my dad because usually he just took me to like Arkansas and we'd shoot like fork and horn whitetails, you know? <laughs> That's, uh, you know, my first, I'm, I'm in, in Western Oregon, so I'm in blacktail country. It's, we've got the Columbia blacktails here. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, my first buck was years ago and it, it was my biggest blacktail I've ever shot. I'd just turned 12 and, and dad took me up and he had a, a nice buck scouted and, and we get on that one and took it. But, uh, it's something special when you get to do it with your dad. Yeah, it is. No question. Yeah, That first year, that first year we went in a couple days before the season and, uh, on opening day, halfway through the day, we glassed up a really nice buck. He was a, a five by five, non-typical. And, um, and we, Jake, Jake stalked him and, and, uh, and killed him, and it was uh, his first poking young animal. Wow! Congratulations. Thank you. It was pretty cool. Yeah, you gonna try to keep up with your dad in the books? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> and Alan, how, how many do you have in poking young now? You know, you know, Jason, I don't even count them. I I count I count top tens. Okay. And how many of those do you have? I think I have six. Good lord, that must be a good oh, problem right. to have. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> Six got, top ten. That's got to be a good problem to have, Jason. When you don't even you count know, how many you've got, you just count no, your top ten. No, you know. You know not, it's not that I don't. I, it's not that I. I wouldn't count them. It's just not what I'm focused on. Like I don't. I. I just, I'm not. I'm. I, I don't know. I guess I'm a, a quality, not quantity. So I'm not right. thinking like shoot as many Pope and young as I can. I'm, I'm thinking shoot as many big Pope and young as I can. Yeah. Well, I had heard somewhere and, and maybe you can, I don't know if you can confirm or deny this or, or if we have to edit it out later, but um, I don't remember where I heard it might've been from you, but I, I heard somewhere through the grapevine that it was your goal to take a Boone and Crockett caliber species with a bow in each species. Is that accurate? That is impossible, Jason. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's Did, really, I, you really didn't really answer impossible. my question. I mean, <laughs> it's, 
So it, it really is impossible. Okay. All right. Just checking. But but I would like to shoot a handful for sure. Okay. I'd like to shoot a handful of those. I really I really like I call them Pope and Young Booners. Right. And uh and that's just a nickname I gave them. Hopefully it catches on because it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool thing. A Pope and Young Booner, it's Pope and Young because it was killed with archery tackle that that is consistent with the book. And then Boone and Crockett because it qualifies for the all-time Boone and Crockett book, not the awards book, the all-time book. Okay. That's the Pope and Young Booner in my definition. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I chase those. Okay. And how many of those do you have? I think um, after my bison is scored here in, in a couple weeks, I think it'll be eight. Wow. Good Lord. <laughs> you know, some people are just hoping to see a Boone and Crockett buck. You want to kill one and get it with your bow. That's I, I hats <laughs> off, man. Oh, thanks. That's what are, great. What are, what are the eight, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so um, mountain goat, grizzly bear, stone sheep, central barren ground caribou, woodland caribou, Quebec Labrador caribou, um, Sitka blacktail, hopefully. He does have to still be going to Crockett's court, but he looks he looks good. And then um, bison, that would be seven. I'm missing one somewhere. And how many of those have I, I been mean, on the? I know it's a, It's funny. I can't remember. Yeah, how many of those have been on the cover of the Ethic magazine? A couple of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I know a couple of them have. So <laughs> I've got a couple mountain goats in the all-time book, but I only count you know its species. I'm counting not not just you know. I mean, certain animals are pretty easy. Like if I wanted to kill a Pope and Young an, or a Boone and Crockett antelope every year, you could just do it. You know, but you know other ones are are more difficult. So I go by the species, not just, you know, mountain goat's another one. I mean, you can, if you go to the right spot, you're going to kill a booner every year. Yeah. And I just, that's one of those that you just think, I, I think of a mountain goat and I'm like, man, it just seems like, gosh, getting within a couple hundred yards wouldn't be too bad, but getting within close enough for a, for a bow shot just seems like that, that whole next level. I guess I did name eight. Yeah. I, I just looked at my list. Yeah. I, I named them all. Okay. But yeah. Anyway. So, so tell us about this one. This, what was this early in the hunt, mid hunt, late hunt? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I, I we, I'd gone up in 2018 and 2019. So I don't want to make it sound like I didn't put in my dues And each of those were, you know, a couple week long hunts in 2018. I killed when I was one Oh three and three eights or something like that. Um, and then 2019, uh, Jake couldn't go. And that one was like over 104. I thought that one was there when I saw him on the hoof. He looked so giant, but he was a very small body deer. And, okay. uh, you know, it, that, that just happens sometimes. They give a different perspective. And then this one, we got, we were battling weather. This year, the weather was terrible. We were in 14 days. And Jake, what do you, how many, how many, uh, if you were to add up all the time we were able to hunt, how many days do you think we hunted with the weather? And I would, I would think probably two or three days, you know, because yeah. like there would be some days where we'd get out of the tent for 30 minutes and just have fog going in and out. You get little windows and you might see a yeah. doe or something, but, but like real good hunting time, we probably only had, only had two days of like real good weather. Yeah, it was, wow. it was brutal. I mean, and out of 14 days, I'm not kidding. 80% of the time we were stuck in the tent. 
so we got stuck in a tent, you know, right at the beginning of the hunt for several days. And then we were just moving into position and we had our full packs on and we were just, we were just striking out deeper into the mountains. We had kind of look, looked over the first spot already, but this was like our second day of, well, kind of our first day of actual hunting. And, uh, we, we found this trail, um, super heavy deer trail, like one of the, probably, I, I, I mean, I pointed it out to the guys. I'm like, this is the heaviest deer trail I've ever seen. And, and there's fresh buck tracks in this deer trail. So we kind of walked alongside it through the Alpine. And as we crossed the ridge, um, you know, this trail kind of disappeared into the Alpine, but we just kept going the direction it was going. And we, we ran into this herd of bucks and I, how many Jake were there? Seven or eight, maybe. Uh, there's probably seven or eight deer, but probably three or four bucks. I, if I remember right, I could be wrong though. Yeah, I think I think there were three or four good ones. Um, yeah, like there, there's a few, a few three points. Like and, you know, and on a, a with Sitka blacktail deer, a four by four with eye guards is extremely rare. You've got to look over a hundred different bucks before you find one that is a four by four with eye guards. Wow. So that's why it's so difficult to get these. I mean, you know, th there's only nine, nine ever that are Pope and Young Booners. And, and I mean, and this is one of the most commonly bow hunted animals um, right. in North America. And there's only nine of them. So, and hopefully this is number 10 or whatever. And I think there actually is another one that got scored last winter um, from a, a, a lady on Kodiak shot it. But anyway, there's very few. And so a three by three, you know, a nice three by three with eye guards is a heck of a deer. And when we crossed this ridge, I saw antler tips. So I dropped down and we all dropped down. Uh, there was four of us. We, my friend Luke came along to photograph and film. And then Jake brought a buddy too. And so we're glassing these deer and there's like some really nice bucks. And so I told the boys to get their bows out and get ready. And then this big guy appears. I'm like, holy smokes, that's a big deer but he had this big non-typical point. So I was a little bit hesitant. I was sitting there debating because I thought with that non-typical point, I mean, he looks huge, but there's no way one of these deer can take a three inch deduction and still make book. And so when I say book, I mean, I'm talking Boone and Crockett 108. Right. And so, so I'm, I'm, you know, just him hawing around and the boys are getting their stuff ready. And Luke, who was with me in 2019 and, and was, you know, is very keyed in on these deer now, he looks at me, he's like, Alan, he's like, look at me. I'm like, what? He's like, you need to shoot that deer. I was like, oh, okay. So I just trusted him. And I mean, you know, we both knew it was big, but I just didn't know. So, so I put my stuff together. I mean, we're talking my, my bows taken apart, my sights in my pack, my stabilizers in my pack, got to put everything together. And these deer are just out feeding. One of them saw us a little bit and started to get nervous and walk off and a couple followed him. And then a couple started to go up the ridge and so i crawled in to where that i had last seen the big one and he didn't go with either either of the groups that split and jake stayed back glassing i took luke with me to hopefully film we didn't end up getting it on film but but um we got to this last draw and this draw is like it's this little tiny draw and i actually remember the draw from when jake and i were there two years previous because we took a nap under the trees right huh. remember that jake like right where, right where this deer was. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so so he's in this draw, I think, but we can't see him, and it's this tiny little draw. And I'm thinking, 
man, the, just the odds of him being in there, it's like of all this country, like he's just hidden in this draw that's like six feet deep. You know, it's not, it's, but I, I just trusted like that he had to be there. So I, I stopped and, and Luke was like, well, should we go up to the edge of it? And I was like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to push that. Cause it, peeking over the edge of a draw, it's like they freak out and you're just too close and they just explode. So we just hung back and all of a sudden after, you know, we waited five, 10 minutes and I started to like, think maybe they had snuck off somehow. Well, this little buck feeds up out of this draw right in front of us at 14 yards. Wow. And he gets all stiff legged and sees us and starts walking down away from us, you know, with, with an alert posture. And I knew that big buck would be following him out. And I thought, well, if he's watching this other deer, he knows there's a problem. So he's going to come out, you know, pretty keyed up. So, so I, I, uh, got ready, you know, release on string, ready to draw. And, and this big buck comes up and he's feeding. He never saw the other deer and he just feeds right up onto the ridge of the, the lip of that draw. And I came, I came to full draw. He's at 14 yards and he looks at me when he, when I drew and I just hammered him in the lungs and, and that was it. So it was a 14 yard shot. You know, I, I shoot all winter. I mean, all winter, all summer I'm shooting, you know, like these super long distances preparing for anything. And then you end up shooting them at 14 yards. Yeah. Isn't is, it amazing is how that happens? Yeah, it is. It is. Yep. It's, it's sweet when it happens that way. I mean, that's actually closer than I'd like to be. I don't like being that close. Too many things can, too many things can go wrong from the animal's perspective. They, they don't, they, they, any little mistake, they just blow up. And it, where if you're at 40 or 50 yards, they kind of look at you and they give you some time. They don't just explode. So those are my preferred yardages. Yeah. But, but whatever, you take what you can get, right? Yeah. Now, now, Jake, when were you there with him when he shot it? I was, yeah. Yeah, I was, okay. uh, I was, I was getting my bow off my pack and then, uh, <laughs> that didn't end up happening. Did, did that deer when, when he, when he saw Alan at full draw at 14 yards, did he have that look of, you know, I may have messed up this time. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that's what he was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, this isn't going to be good, but I, uh, it, it's good for us. Yeah, I, I after that, uh, well, we saw another four point with that group. That was a little smaller four point, but he was still nice. And uh, I was, I kind of had my heart set on him after that. My, my dad and his buddy went off down the range like five more miles, and me and my friends stayed for a few days, and um, we just could not see any deer. We would get out of the tent and have a an hour or two of hunting every day, and we just could not find anything. And, and, uh, even though we knew that four point was up there somewhere. And then on the last day before we were about to go meet up with my dad again, we saw two wolves running around on the mountainside. So that cleared them out. Pushed them out. For sure. Yeah. That must've been it. Cause we saw nothing for like five days straight. Yeah. In a, in a spot that historically holds a lot of deer. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been exposed to wolves near as much, but I, I know one of the places I elk hunt, you will be just thick into the bulls and then all of a sudden you won't see an elk for seven days. And if you look around long enough, you'll find a cat track. So same type of deal. Yeah. I mean, we were just confused. We didn't know why there was nothing around. And, uh, yeah, those, those wolves were the answer. Wow. Okay. 
So, and you guys were in there for two weeks and just, just had a few days of, of what you consider to be quality spot and stock hunting opportunities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, a few days of like good hunting all day, but, uh, but like we had like an hour or so some days, you know, you have to look out, outside of your tent, like every 15, 20 minutes, you're just praying for the weather to clear. You just keep looking, keep looking. And then as soon as you see a little bit of the sky lightning, you just go and you yeah. hope it's going to work out. Half the time it starts raining on you and the fog rolls back in. You got to go back to your tent all wet now. But if yeah. you don't do that, I mean, you'll just be stuck. You just, if you wait for the perfect weather, sometimes in, in that area, it just never happens. Yeah. And when you're talking about stuck in a tent for days on end, we're not talking about a 14 by 20 yeah. wall tent with a, with a wood stove in it. You guys are in, in tents that you carried in on your back. Yeah, we our tents don't even have floors. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean they they do have kind of a, a like a tarp floor, but we use we use the Kuyu Summit Refuge and Summit Star, so they're okay. tarp style tent. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan of those. I've been I've been using that style of tent since 2005. I started using them, and uh, I, I you stay incredibly dry with just basically it's just an enclosed tarp over you. Um, yeah, it gives you more room inside. That's why I like them. So for the for about half the weight of a normal tent, you get twice the room, and it's that okay. room that actually keeps you dry. Yeah, because you're far away from the walls and all that. So that yeah. So we we use that, and I mean, I'll tell you one thing, Jake. How many games of Yahtzee did you play, Jake? He was challenging <laughs> anybody who would take a game. I think I, I played forty five. Forty five. Yeah, I have all the records, all the score sheets. I kept them. There you go. How'd you keep them dry? <laughs> That's how good these tents are, huh? Oh, yeah, you'll yeah. be dry inside the tent. You're dry, very dry. Wow. I always but wondered, you, you know, how it works. Fever. Yeah, when you know, when you're out there and you're you're soaking wet, you know, the there's you know without a heater and without a a way to get dried out is are you just basically a little bit damp for the whole time or or are you no. able to finally no you can definitely get dried out i mean there's there's ways to manage your wet gear so what you do jason you know i was i was uh hunting in alaska once and after a few days of rain my guide says to me he's like man everything i have is wet and i was shocked when he said it because i didn't have a single piece of wet gear not really? one. And he literally, everything he owned was wet, but he wasn't managing his gear properly. So the way you do it is when you're going to get wet, you either, you know, wear something that is already wet, or if you don't have anything wet, wear something that, that you can somewhat dry out easily. You don't ever want to throw on everything you own and go out and hike for six hours in the pouring rain. Even if you have the best rain gear in the world, six hours of hiking in the rain, it's going to seep in here or there and it's going to start wicking and you're, you're eventually going to get some stuff wet. And if you have everything you, you have, you own on, you're going to get everything wet. And then it's, then you got a little bit of a problem on your hands. So when I'm hiking and I know I'm going to get wet, like I'm going to climb through the bush for eight hours, I put one layer on under my rain gear and I just resign that it's going to get wet. Then when I get to my tent, I wring it out and get it as dry as I can. And then I wear it. I put it on and then I put something dry on over the top of it. And with four or five, within four or five hours of wearing that piece of wet gear, it's dry. It's completely wow, dry. No so kidding. the human body becomes your dryer. If I have wet socks, I put them um, on my, like my quads inside my long johns. 
and they just sit on my quads or you can wear them on your feet too, but I don't like that feeling, that gross wet feet feeling. So I take them off my feet and I put them up against my quads and I sleep with them and they're dry in the morning. So now if you have everything you own that's wet, well, that's a lot to try to dry out. But if you just have a few pieces of wet gear and you're always rotating and, and drying stuff, yeah, you can you can stay on top of it. I, I wow. very rarely, very rarely do I feel like, oh my gosh, I, everything's wet. I mean, it's almost never. So I'm, I'm yeah. careful with it. You manage it properly. Okay, excellent. Well, that's a good tip. I didn't know that. I, I was like learning some some new things here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I figured I'd share it because it, it is a. If you're gonna hunt Southeast Alaska or or coastal British Columbia, holy smokes, man, the rain is just it's nonstop. So you really you you have to know all the tricks to stay dry. Yeah. So here's a question I'm gonna ask both of you. And uh, I, we may already know what it is for Jake after his Yahtzee story, but uh, one piece of gear, you know, that that's maybe or, or one thing that you take on a hunt like that, that's maybe something non-traditional that 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 you just couldn't live without or you wouldn't want to live without. What what would that be for you guys? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I got um, mine. What is it, Jake? Yeah, I mean. Yahtzee's pretty good, especially on a hunt like that where you're sucking the tent a lot. But uh, if you know you're going to have good weather, then I'm going to say mini bottle of Tabasco sauce. Okay, mini bottle of Tabasco sauce. That's the best for your dinners and your <laughs> your lunches and your eggs for breakfast. All freeze-dried. You kind of get sick of that food. It's nice to have some Tabasco. All right, I like it. And, and Alan, how about you? I would say uh, down like water, waterproof down, like, like Kuyu's quick down. That's each, each down feather is silicone impregnated. So it doesn't okay. get wet. Um, down is just has a, such an incredible, uh, heat to weight ratio. I mean, the jacket weighs like 13 ounces, which is like the same as a long sleeve t-shirt and, uh, the insulation value is just really high. So that, that keeps me warm and dry when I'm glassing in the wind. And I mean, I'm not going to wear it out. Like when it's pouring rain, I might wear it under my rain gear glassing, um, for a while, but I, I mean, I don't want to get, I mean, it's waterproof, but it's yes. not rain gear. So, but I, I just love the down. I, I do. I, I take the jacket always. And then later in the season, I'll take the pants okay. too. Um, in August, I don't take the pants, but some guys do. Some guys never leave home without those down pants. You know, they they you, they fit in such a they compact down, and that you can stuff them in such a small space. They just don't take up a lot of room. Yeah, and they weigh nothing and take up no space. But when you put it on, I mean, you'd have to carry five t-shirts to equal that yeah. much warmth. Yeah, I wind up leaving one of the down jackets in in my even in my day pack when I'm just out for an afternoon. Absolutely, and it's. You know, when you start telling people that you're hunting, you know, in August and it's 96 degrees and you have a down jacket in your backpack, they look at you a little funny. But, <laughs> you know, when that when that sun goes down and you've got four hours to get back to the truck or the tent, it's uh, all of a sudden it comes in pretty nice. Yeah. You know, when you're you know, you, you climb up a mountain like in August, I do this all the time. Even in Utah, I'm climbing up to 10,000 feet to glass mule deer. And by the time I get up there, I'm soaking wet with sweat and I get up there in the dark and it is, it's freezing cold and the wind is whipping it. Like you are, it, it's hard to believe. I mean, it's, it's going to be a 95 degree, 95 degree day down in the valley, 
but you are freezing and you throw on that down jacket for the first hour and a half, half of glassing and it makes it, it's a, it's a great piece of gear. Yeah, that's great. So if you had to pick something that wasn't necessarily gear, is there any, do you have a Tabasco sauce or, or something like that that you take with you? Um, I, audio books are huge. Okay. Audio, audio books or podcasts or whatever have a lot of them downloaded. Oh, excellent. and I burn through books while, you know, while in the tent. Uh, another thing is a solar charger. Okay. Um, good. Those have gotten good. Like, um, the brand that I've had really good luck with is called big blue. You can get it on Amazon and they're cheap. They're like 60 bucks. And I'm not kidding, Jason. We'll have days where it's completely fogged in. We're completely fogged in and it's raining outside and I'll open that thing inside my tent and it still gets enough juice into my phone that my battery doesn't go down. It's not charging it, but it's not going down as I'm listening to audiobooks. Wow. Okay. And that's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then on nice days, it'll charge your phone like in an hour and a half. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, that's, they're, they're pretty handy. That's a good tip. It's, um, you know, once again, I always like to listen to the the guys that specialize in this and know that have done it, been there, done that. And, and you know, I think we've all done the pack-in trip where, you know, you take everything and, and the kitchen sink and about halfway in, you're like, oh, man, I could have probably left some of this stuff out. And then there's been the times where you're like, mm, you know, it sure would have been nice if I had just thrown in this one piece of gear. So it's always nice to hear what what people take and and what they can't live without. So great tips. Yeah. And we, you know, especially for folks, I, I know a lot of our listeners have probably done the, the Sitka blacktail hunt, but there's a lot of folks out there that we're hoping to talk to that haven't been able to do that. So um, here's, here's some things to expect. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had bow hunted a long time before, before I finally in 2018 decided to, to finally tackle the Sitka blacktail deer. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there It's on their list. They just haven't done it yet. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of opportunities and talking with, with folks who do it. Um, a lot of people, it's one of their most favorite hunts of the year. You know, yeah. I think it can be a, a, a social, a lot of guys go up there with a small group and it's kind of a social thing and, and really enjoy the time that they spend up there. Yeah. I think Kodiak is really set up well for that. I, I don't, I don't think Southeast Alaska is as much, um, maybe in the late season when you're hunting, you know, the guys go in the late season and they, you know, they'll stay like in a cabin or something and they'll, they'll go try to rattle in the deer and tree stand hunt, do different things like that. But when you're hunting in the Alpine, um, out of your backpack, it's not super social. Yeah. Um, you really, it can only, you might be able to go with one or two other guys, but even then you just can't cover enough country to have enough deer for everybody. Yeah, because, I got a I got a question for you, Alan. Um, yeah, I was talking with a guy about this today, and especially in Alaska, where uh, everything is is bigger, you know, grizzlies, elk, moose. Um, what is the fascination? Because I've never been on a blacktail hunt. Uh, what's the fascination with an, an animal that you know is so, so much smaller than all the rest? You know, what what draws people to that? Well, that's a that's a great question. You know, I mean, you you know, you look at a coos whitetail as an example compared to a big Midwestern brute whitetail and, you know, they look pretty much the same except, you know, one weighs a hundred pounds and the other one weighs, you know, two twenty. So it's, it's, 
you know, I mean, each species has to, in my opinion, is appreciated for, um, you know, its own characteristics. It, it doesn't like, I'm not going to, when I look at a sit for blacktail, I don't think of mule deer. I've never, it doesn't even cross my mind. I'm not comparing it to a mule deer. I'm comparing it to a Sitka blacktail deer. And so to me, when I see a giant Sitka blacktail, I mean, it gets my blood pumping. Like I just get so stoked out of my mind because there's this four by four with eye guards. And I mean, it looks like his forks are four inches deep. And to me, that's really exciting. Now, when I'm hunting mule deer, you know, he's, he's gotta be, you know, he's gotta have whatever 16 inch G2s to get me excited or whatever it is, you know? So it, it, it's just like, I don't, I think you got to separate it in your mind. You know, that's what I've always done. I haven't had a problem doing it that, um, you know, they, they each have their own qualities and they're just different species. Um, you know, and they're, and they're, they're different, really cool ways. They act differently. A uh, Sitka blacktail, you know, some people might say that, that they're, you know, they're really, they're great for bow hunting because they don't, they don't necessarily react um, like they don't, they don't react as quickly as a whitetail or a big mule deer. They'll kind of stand there and look at you for a minute and, and, and not a minute, but they'll give you enough time to get a shot off. Um, but one thing I've noticed about these bucks is when you're, if you go through the Alpine and you walk a stretch of Alpine, you'll run into, say you run into four or five bucks and, and you, and they see you and you see them and, and you maybe could have shot them. Well, the next time you walk through that, that alpine, they won't be there. So they're dumb once, and then you're not going to see them again. They're going to go into in, down into the timber, and they know you're there, and they don't want to be around you. So they, they do have their own characteristics, you know. I mean, uh, they're excellent table fare, I'll tell you that. In, in my opinion, mule deer isn't the best, um, isn't the best eating. These things are unbelievably good. And, uh, I guess they're from the same family, but they don't taste like they're from the same family. So every animal, every species is so unique and so cool. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And any, I mean, for some that might be a dumb question, you know, um, I think it's a great question. Yeah. So people say, why would you want to hunt those little deer? I have heard that. Yeah. I'm like being a, being a Midwestern, you know, whitetail primary hunter, um, I'm like, what, what, what's the fascination? I'm like, I can go to, I can go to, you know, Arkansas and shoot a 110 inch whitetail. It looks just like that. Uh, but, but I also understand <laughs> I, I'm of the mindset, you know, I am a primary whitetail hunter in the Midwest, but I do love that go out in the mountain and uh, live off your pack and grind it out. And, uh, and so I understand, you know, that's, that's where my fascination would come from is, is, well, you know, hunting whitetails, you're sitting in a tree stand all day this you know i'm living off my pack it's nitty gritty it's you know um so i was just i was just curious as as to what your answer would be you know there's a cool a couple other cool things about these deer they're very stockable so if you want to like hone your steel skills and stalking and and go out and crawl in and shoot a buck at 30 yards like these deer are made for that another thing is in a lot of these areas you can shoot four of them I, I'm not sure what it is in Kodiak, but in Southeast Alaska, you can shoot four of them. And I think Kodiak might even, I don't remember what the limit is. At one point it was five, but, but, you know, to, to be able to go on a hunt and stock and harvest four bucks with your bow and arrow, like that's an incredible experience. Yeah, it really, you know, and especially, yeah, I'm on the West, West coast and here you can, 
I mean, there, there's places it's 20 some years to draw the tag you want. So to think about being yeah. able to do it multiple times in, in the same, you know, week or two week span is that's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside to that for sure. Tell you one thing, and Jake can attest to this. If you want to kill a high number of deer, Southeast Alaska is not the place, at least not in the early season. It is so much work to get into the Alpine. You're never going to kill more than one buck. Um, I've never, I've been, you know, I've whatever spent, you know, over 40 days hunting these deer and I've only killed three in 40 days Wow! because I mean, it's just, you're in, you're in so deep and you're committed and you're like, if I kill a deer, I got to carry this thing down to the plane. It is a mat. It's like a two day project to get one deer out, you know? So you're not going to just, you know, stack them up, you know, in that country. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure you could probably stack up the bucks that I shoot in that country, you know, for, <laughs> oh, you'd be hiking a lot, getting them in and out. You know, fork and horns are sometimes a little easier to come by, Alan. <laughs> but but like I tell people, I'm like, yeah, anybody can kill those big ones, but man, you've got to be a, a true archer to get those fork and horns because they're about half the size. That's you, true. The, the vitals are smaller. That's a good point. You <laughs> hey, I only have so many. I've got to hang on to them, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how, how does it feel? I mean it's it's gone through panel the announcements are out how does it feel to have a world record pope and young buck you know uh, i don't know that's a hard question i i mean it's cool it is cool um there's no doubt i mean it's it's uh i guess it's, it just sounds cool or whatever but i don't know i mean to me the experience of going up and backpacking for that deer and laying my hands on that massive rack. I mean, it, he was just, I mean, the, the other two I had killed were, you know, 103 and change and 104 and change, which are pretty big deer. Mm -hmm. And this thing just blew those away. I mean, this thing grosses over 116 inches. Wow. You know, I mean, he's, it, it's like, and so when I look at this animal, like the sense of appreciation that I have and just, and, and just tied to the experience of being up there with my son. And, uh, you know, one thing that was cool, you know, when Jake killed his deer on, on that first hunt, you know, and, and it was a big buck and he was so excited and he just, you know, he knew it was his first Pope and young buck. And he was just, he was pumped. And he said to me, he said, dad, I want to, I want to make you a promise as a thank you for taking me on this hunt. And, and this was on day one, his opening day when he shot that buck. He said, I want to promise you that I'm going to stay up here as long as it takes. And I'm going to, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to get burned out. I will stay up. I don't care how long we have to stay up. I want to help you kill your big buck. And that was a, that was a pretty awesome promise coming from a 16 year old that was overwhelmed in the mountains. And, and we had, you know, packs on that were going to last us two weeks and he already killed his buck and he could go home, you know? Right. We had to get his buck, we had to get his buck down to the plane and he could easily gotten on the plane. Right? Yeah. So we did that and we, we, we got back to work and we were out there a couple of weeks and, and we ended up killing a nice one, but he wasn't quite, you know, at the level I wanted. So we went back again in 2020 and he was with me again, 14 days. And, you know, that was that was an amazing experience. I think we both grew a lot on those hunts. We grew closer together and we grew tougher and everything else you get out of a hunt like that. So those are the things I'm, I mean, if you, you compare all that to, 
you know, the, the phrase world record. Oh, I mean, this stuff is even cooler than that, you know, but, but, but the world record thing is pretty neat. Yeah. When you're stuck with somebody in a tent for two weeks, um, it could go either way. It could, you could get closer <laughs> or you could not. <laughs> Especially when he keeps cleaning my clock in Yahtzee. Oh man. Well, <laughs> oh, with that much practice, you know, what are you going to yeah. do? You yeah. know, at least, at least Yahtzee is one of those that you can play it and you know, you want to win, but, but a lot of times you're almost playing against yourself because you're trying to get that score. You need your bonus on the top to, to make it all <laughs> right. happen. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, I always think about these hunts, you know, I, I think about like kids my age and what they might, you know, view as an adventure, you know, their adventure may be like driving up a Canyon. And, uh, and I feel so, so grateful that I've had these true adventures with my dad that I'll have forever. I'll always have those memories of these amazing experiences. And, you bet. um, and they're just like the things I hold most dear is these memories of these hunts, you know, cause I got to have these experiences with my dad. That's, that's wonderful. In 2018, Jake spent, uh, let me think here, 12, like 35 days as a 16 year old, he spent 35 days backpacking in Alaska. That's fantastic. We went, on a, we went on a caribou hunt that was three weeks long and we got like weathered in and couldn't get out of there and got stuck and stranded and Jake was supposed to be back for school and we just kept hunting. But I mean, as a 16 year old, 35 days in Alaska is pretty self-guided, all self-guided. It's pretty cool. That's, that's a little bigger adventure than just driving up the Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and you hear so many stories nowadays of, you know, young people and not being able to get outside because they're tied to their video games and their cell phones and, the television set and then you hear stories like this and it it just you know makes you smile and it and it just shows you that you know maybe not everything we're hearing about the next generation is is entirely true so kudos to you jake for doing it thank you i definitely think some of those stereotypes are pretty valid um but uh i i do feel very grateful that my parents have raised me to to know what's valuable in life you know that's great. Yeah. And it takes that. I mean, the, the mentorship and, and just being exposed to the outdoor lifestyle is something that, you know, across the country, they've got the R3 movement and, and a lot of things where they're targeting, you know, youth seasons. And in fact, I was talking to my dad just a few nights ago and, and I have a couple nieces that are 12 and, and 16 now. And I, I, the 16 year old's gotten her deer and elk every year. And she's passing, you know, blacktail bucks that are, are probably bigger than what I've killed in the last 10 years. Cause she wants, wow. she wants that next level. And it's, it's like, my dad was talking, he says, we didn't have youth tags when I was a kid. And I said, dad, we didn't have them when I was a kid. There, there was no special season. We didn't get a hunt the weekend after the regular season. And, and so there are so many things that they're doing right now to promote that and to get youth involved and, and to get people exposed to the outdoors that it, it, it's really, you know, when, when people have an opportunity to get out there and experience it, I've taken a lot of people hunting, you know, either hunting for the first time or hunting a certain, you know, species for the first time. And 
it's it's amazing once they're exposed to it it's it's so overwhelming you just can't wait to get back out there yeah it's uh, it can be an addicting sport that's for sure yeah so uh, but you know when you're out there it's it can it can be very it can be a trial too i mean i just got out of a 12 hour day in a whitetail stand before i got in this podcast and it, and it's like man that's, that's a long day yeah <laughs> but uh it, which, by the way, I mean, why are we doing podcasts right during the middle of the white tail rut, Jason? Well, you know, your buck just got scored and, and confirmed. So, you know, <laughs> now's the time. People want to hear about it. I wanted to hear uh, about it. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm just kidding anyway. I'm Absolutely. Kidding. It's actually a great way to pass the evening. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, the interesting part of that is we've had a podcast for years. And, you know, we had a great guy. Zach Walton has been doing it. Um, for us, he got it started, got it off the ground. And, and one of the things Dylan and I are trying to do is, is take it kind of to that next level. We changed it up a little bit and we're going to make a commitment to our listeners that we're going to have a new episode every week for folks. We don't want it to be, Hey, just one every once in a while, we're going to set our schedule. And I'm not sure Dylan can correct me if, if we have, if we actually have decided when it's going to go out, but we're going to have a time every week we're going to have an episode that launches, you know, whatever it is, Wednesday at noon. And then we're going to have that so that the whole year long, because some people said that they're like, well, gee, it's, you know, it's tough to schedule because I'm hunting. And, you know, on the West coast, gosh, we've been hunting since August. A lot of places are just now kicking off and, and we don't want to go, you know, three, four, five months without having that, that input without talking to people. And, and especially when you've got stories like, you know, new world records and, and, you know, first, first deer and, and things like that. Those are, those are what people want to hear about. So we're making an effort right now to, to get that to our listeners so that they can count on us to have some, some good content every week. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And it's an honor. We, we, Jake and I appreciate the invite and it's an, it's an honor to talk with you guys and uh yeah look for maybe we'll do it again absolutely well i know alan you've always been you know ever since i came on board with pope and young you've always been a very good supporter of the organization very good supporter of me and and uh always encouraging and and inclusive and i just want to let you know how how you know how much we appreciate you and how much the pope and young club appreciates you and and your stewardship out there in the in the hunting community so thank you you guys are um, and Jake, you know, Jake, you're, uh, you're on the board now. You've got, how do you, do you have the one in the book? So, so far? Yeah. Just the, uh, just the Sitka. Okay. What's your next one on your list? Man, I don't know. Hopefully a mule deer. Mule deer would be awesome. Yeah. Those, there's something special about muleys. Jake killed a mule deer. I was, I was up North still and I got a text on my inReach from Jake. Hey dad, I went up in the mountains today and shot a mule deer by myself with his bow that was pretty cool that's out so that was this year no this year yeah okay well tell us you got you got time to tell us about that one yeah it was uh so we had just got back from that alaska trip and my dad went back up north and he was i can't remember what he was hunting man he he hunts quite a bit it's hard to keep track but uh he uh he was gone and it was my first morning hunting on the wasatch and uh, I was sitting on this trail that we've got some pictures of some deer, and we knew this one buck was coming. And he's nothing huge, but he was 
a clean four by four with eye guards and and he walked in I shot him about 20 yards and uh, that's the first time I'd ever shot anything with my without my dad there so that was pretty exciting for me and oh, and I wow. just got off I just got off that Alaska trip where I was up there for two weeks and it just like hadn't worked out with I just hadn't gotten a deer you know and yeah and so it, I uh I saved up my luck and I got it first morning hunting the Wasatch. That's good for you, man. That's a great story. And Thank did you, you did you send him a picture and you say, "Hey, Dad, I know you shot a world record and all, but my buck's bigger." Yeah, yeah you it is. <laughs> you know, his buck was so big and mine was kind of mediocre. They were about the same size. There you go. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I I could see taking that shot if I had the opportunity. But, well, that's great. And there's something neat because that's, you know, as a lifelong hunter myself, you never forget some of those firsts. Um, yeah. You know, you'll be sitting around the campfire, hopefully in, in 30 years, talking to people about that and say, man, you know what? First time I ever went out without my dad and, and tell the story and, and uh, you know, make sure. One of the things that I, I didn't do, I mean, it just wasn't a thing. We Nobody had a camera on their phone when I was a kid. And, and it's interesting because I think about my first buck and the way I told the story and it, just the different things that, you know, when I think about it now, Oh, you know what? I forgot about that. You know, I, yeah. there, it, there's just, just the little, you know, rolling up your sleeves and then just different things like that. So it's uh, it make sure you get, you know, you, if you're not keeping a journal, you know, make sure you get some, uh, some memories of that. Cause it's, uh, it's a special thing. Yeah. Yeah. I got a question for you, Alan. Yeah. So, so for somebody who, um, makes it a point to shoot big animals and, and you, you kind of have that mindset of, of go for the biggest, um, what would you say if somebody were to say, man, I'd love to start killing these big animals. What would be your advice to say, hey, listen, this is going to be what it takes for you to, uh, you know, potentially kill a world record or potentially kill a, a, a Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett buck? Well, the biggest thing is you got you to gotta let the little ones go. And a lot of the people, that's the biggest thing. People have a hard time doing it. And, and not even little ones. When you get into the, you know, when you're talking Boone and Crockett, I mean, you can be Oh, you can miss Boone and Crockett by a long ways and they're still big. I mean, <laughs> Boone and Crockett is huge. So, I mean, you got to let things go that you don't think are going to, are going to hit that mark. I, I come home empty handed on most hunts and a lot of people aren't okay with that. I mean, I probably, I probably kill 30 or 40% of the time I go on hunts and some of these hunts are expensive. You know, I mean, I've been doll sheep hunting five or six times I've never made a stock. I've never stocked a single sheep and I've seen dozens of legal sheep that I could have shot. I've never killed a doll sheep, but I don't really care. I don't need to. Like it's just not how I'm wired. I want to kill a giant. So I'm just going to keep going until I find a giant. And that mentality is what kills big stuff. Um, but then again, there's, there's a little bit of a mix too that you have to have because you do have to shoot some stuff. So like if you've never killed anything with a bow before and you say it's Booner, Boone and Crockett or bust, well, when that Booner steps out, you're going to miss, you know, just because you don't have the experience. So you do need to find ways to get experience and shoot certain animals or what, you know, have your normal, your local hunts. Like, you know, a mule deer, 
I shoot a mule deer every year. I've, I've never killed a Boone and Crockett mule deer, but I, I shoot a nice buck every year. I go whitetail hunting. I try to shoot lots of does. I try to, you know, you, you get as, you know, as much like sort of uh, practice as you can. But then when you go on the hunt that you're really targeting a big animal, then you just, you stick with your, you stick to it. Um, and, and, and it's not, I, you know, it's, I wouldn't ever want somebody to do this if it's going to spoil their fun. Like a lot of people, they need, they part, part of the fun is going in and killing something and that's really fun and, and it should be, it is fun. Um, and if they didn't go and have that part of the experience, the hunt wouldn't have been as fun. And, and for that person, they should just kill and have fun. Um, but for me, I, I just don't define my fun that way. My fun is searching and it's dreaming and it's, it's, oh my gosh, what if I find this giant animal I'm after? And, and I just looking through like really nice ones and passing them and having the outfitter say, really, you're seriously going to let that walk? And I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, we decided that he's not booked, right? Yeah. That's what we decided. And didn't I tell you this? Well, yeah, I know you told me, but everybody says that nobody actually does it. So, you know, but it's, to me, it's fun. I love that. I love that whole experience. I come home empty handed and I have the time of my life. And then when you finally do get the, that rare animal, that is what you're after. Then it's like, I mean, cloud nine. Wow. So it's not something that's for everyone. That's for sure. Um, it, you know, it's, it, but for me, whatever, for whatever reason, I like doing it that way. Yeah. It's, it's fun to me. Well, and it's, you know, I think you mentioned it. You have to be willing, you know, if you're going to truly go out and kill the giants and the world records of the world, uh, you know, you have to be able to be willing to eat some tag soup along the way. And, and, you know, in your case, sounds like more than not even, but oh, yeah. boy, you know, um, wow. What a, what a tremendous story. I think I've been on five hunts this year and I've killed two animals. Yeah. You know, and that's, no, that's how it goes. That's a good year. Yeah. And both, both of them are getting special paneled. Uh, I don't think, I mean, the, the bison I'm sure will get invited to panel, but not especially, it's not a world record. Okay. All right. But it, it, it'll be top 10. That's great. Yeah. Did you end up killing here in Kansas? Uh, I'm still in Kansas. Oh, okay. Yep. That was my 12 hour stand day today. Yeah. Um, but... Did you see any bucks? Uh, I saw six bucks today. They're all small, and I didn't see a single doe, so I think that they're in lockdown right now. Okay. Yeah. Th this cold front's certainly helping, though. Um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how far away you are, but, but I know, you know up, until yes, up until today, it's been 75 degrees. Yeah. No, it was very cold today. I mean, it was literally an ice storm last night. I, when I walked into my stand, like, everything had, like, all the stalks of... of uh, you know, grass or whatever in the CRP all had like half inch ice on them. It was unbelievable. Wow. It's a winter wonderland. Well, that hasn't been the case up until, up until yeah. today. So, yeah. uh, yeah, man, I was here last week too. I went home for the weekend and then came back out Sunday and, uh, yeah, it's, I think this week's going to be really good. Excellent. We'll see. Well, Hey, here's to your next special panel. All right. Thanks guys. It was all a right. pleasure talking with you. Yeah, Alan, Jay, yeah, thank you guys both so much for taking some time with us and uh, look forward to doing it again. Best of luck out in the field right. to you guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.